Welcome to episode 816 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus presented by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I am Ben Lindbergh of 538, joined as always by Sam Miller of Baseball Prospectus. And today we are beginning our fourth annual podcast season preview series in which we devote an episode to each team, starting with the team with the lowest Dakota projected win total and going up from there we have two segments in the first segment Sam and I interview the author of the BP annual essay about the given team and in the second segment either Jeff Paternostro or George Bissell of Baseball Prospectus will interview someone else who covers that team. And today in our second segment, Jeff will talk to Megan Montemuro, who covers the Phillies for the News Journal. But in our first segment, we're talking to the author of the Phillies essay in the BP Annual, Holly M. Went, who is a writer and editor at The Classical. Hello, Holly. Hello. The Phillies were first up in our preview podcast series last year. Pakoda projected that they would be the worst team in baseball, and they were the worst team in baseball. And we're starting with the Phillies again. Pakoda is pretty much just as pessimistic as it was this time last year. But it seems from afar as if there is more positivity surrounding the team this year that maybe there's a sense that even though this year's projected record is not good, perhaps the worst is behind the Phillies. Is that the sense in Phillies fandom at large and and with you specifically? I I would say certainly so. 2015 felt, going into it, it felt very much that this this was the bottom because we all sort of know that the the prospects are there, J.P. Crawford exists, but 2015 was very much the year of not yet. There was Michael Franco, and we expected to see Aaron Nola, and we did, and that was awesome. But, you know, a lot of waiting and, well, a lot of Aaron Harang starts. (laughs) And so there we were. But 2016 feels a lot fresher, if only for the reason that some of those prospects that we saw in the second half of 2015, they're they're part of the opening day roster, and it's hard not to be at least a little excited, simply because there's so much that we don't know, and that's that's the good stuff. So, as Ben noted, I mean the projections were 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 very pessimistic, and it was you know a, a successful Philly season last year was not going to be winning the NL East. That just wasn't going to happen, and so I guess we have to judge the success or failure of the season by other terms. And I'm curious whether you think last year was a successful season for the Phillies. The fact that they didn't turn the odometer over to 100 losses felt momentous. I know it's one loss more or less in a season. That was really unpretty in many cases. Probably doesn't mean a whole lot, but from the, from the fan side, just watching, it felt, it felt important. It felt better to end the season on a win, a weird win, but a win still. And again, the second half of the season, it didn't feel 
it felt like we were going somewhere, even even though Alec Asher didn't didn't have a great uh, showing and Aaron Nola had his ups and downs. But at least it felt like they were learning some things. And on that level, I would say the second half of the Phillies season was a success. And since that's where we ended, I'll go with a cumulative success. June was terrible. Let's never speak of it again. But, you know, not turning that number to three digits when they were on a pace to do much, much worse, particularly in the early part of the season. Yeah, that felt like it meant something. It felt good. You referenced the uh, weird win in the last game of the season. Do they have any idea where that hawk came from? I guess it was just flying over. It just sort of dropped dead. (laughs) If there's a better encapsulation of 2015 for the Phillies than a a dead bird plummeting from the sky, I'm not sure what it is. Um, so we'll ask you at the end of this interview for a, a win total projection as we do with all our guests, but how would you define success in 2016 independent of, you know, meeting or surpassing that win total? Are there specific things that you would like to see happen this year or certain players that you would want to succeed and that would qualify this season as, as the sort of progress you hope to see? I think for the for the team as a whole, the organization, I think giving players room to work and make the mistakes that I think are going to happen with a whole crew of young ball players, a bunch of players who are going to be in their first or first few seasons of of the major leagues. I think organizationally, that would be success to not panic. I felt that during Sandberg's tenure, even though everyone kind of knew this was not going to be a pretty season, that the failures seemed to to mean a lot more. Leashes seemed to be a lot shorter, just a general grimness about everything. And so I have certainly higher hopes for McCannon and Morandini and the rest of the the coaching staff, that they'll be able to, to have a greater sense of looseness to give young players, again, the chance to try some things out. I mean, as a fan too, certainly I would say success means seeing J.P. Crawford in Philadelphia. I'm really excited about that. And maybe smaller pieces just to continue seeing positive production from unexpected corners, which I thought was one of the really neat things about the 2015 season. So Andres Blanco continuing to be really improbably good off the bench, basically all over the lineup, all over the field. Aaron Altair was a pleasant surprise at the end of last season. Jared Eikhoff, Elvis Arujo, he put in more work than I think anyone expected him to do and did pretty well. And if Odubel Herrera can continue even 85% of what he was last season, I would consider that just a joy and a treasure. Obviously, in the past you know, couple of years, the wins and losses haven't been as important as well, partly the uh, development of people like Franco and Crawford and, and Nola, but but also the ability to use the resources on the big league roster in a way that improved the team's future roster. And so last year, probably maybe the biggest thing that the Phillies were charged with doing and did do uh, was trade Cole Hamels for a good return. And then the sort of surprising big thing for them in the offseason was uh, doing the same for, for Ken Giles. Do you think that there are still pieces on this club uh, that we're going to be looking at a lot over the next few months as trade pieces 
Um, are the Phillies still essentially cashing this major league roster in uh, for better pieces, or have they pretty much traded everybody of value at this point? I think the pieces that they're going to get larger scale known positive return are already dealt. I guess I could see maybe some um, unexpected gem coming out of something like a Cody Ashy trade, you know, a prospect that turns out to be better than expected. I'm not really holding my breath on something like that. Were you surprised that Giles was, was shopped so uh, aggressively this offseason? In my heart, I was surprised. In my head, not so much. It seems at this particular point in the Phillies progression, someone like Giles is probably more useful to a team that's contending right now. So it made sense, but it was it was sad to see him go just because I enjoy watching him work. He's quite good. But again, if that if that leads to a better roster in two or three years when perhaps this is realistically going to be a contender again, all to the good. And do you think, is that what you're mentally setting aside the next year or two? Because I'm curious because Mark Appel, the former Astros prospect who was traded to the Phillies in that Giles trade, made a comparison between the Phillies and the Astros and sort of suggested that maybe the Phillies are the new Astros. And the Astros just sort of came together very suddenly. And maybe their their lows were lower than the Phillies have been. And maybe their rebuild was more deliberate and more mapped out. But when it came together, when it gelled, it happened more quickly than anyone expected. So is that the new bar by which rebuilds are judged? Are, are we just sort of expecting that you're going to go from bad and, and not really in the playoff picture at all to suddenly really good? Or are you still kind of expecting incremental improvements and that, you know, to go from 60 something to 90 something wins, you're going to have to go through 70 something and 80 something first? I'm expecting more of a, an incremental step up. And I, I feel a little bit more optimistic about the 2016 Phillies than I think any of those three pretty rocky Astros rebuilding seasons, three seasons with more than 100 losses. I don't think the Phillies are going to wander in the wilderness quite so long. Mm -hmm. But I think if the pitching goes as well as can possibly be expected, maybe uh, another bigger name arm added to the roster, you know, maybe maybe contention is only 2017 away. But, you know, I'm probably expecting more incremental success just because of the sheer newness of the team. Holly, what is your what is your experience with the Phillies? Like, how long have you been following them and so on? Well, being from the middle of Pennsylvania, part of it, I was essentially born into it. But we lived in the absolute middle of nowhere. And so the only real exposure to the Phillies was radio broadcasts and then whatever postseason things were available on major networks. But probably since 2005, I've had the ability to to follow the team a lot more closely. And then in the past year, I moved back to Pennsylvania from Wyoming, which is a baseball desert. And having the, the proximity to the minor league teams is also part of the fandom trajectory. The reason I ask is because, you know, the Phillies, of, of all the kind of 
pre-expansion teams. The Phillies probably have the the worst franchise history, you know? I mean, the, those teams in the middle of the century are, you know, arguably the worst team in modern professional sports. And it's been, you know, if you've been a Phillies fan for 100 years or so, congratulations, you've lived a long time. But also you uh, you sort of probably think of the Phillies as being a kind of cursed franchise, a bad franchise, a, the, a second tier franchise. And they were so good in the 2000s. I think we can sort of forget how like from 2001 to, to 2010, that was such a sustained period of excellence. They were one of the two or three best teams, I think, uh, in baseball over that time period. And of course, now they're clearly, you know, the worst or have been the worst for the last few years. In my lifetime, they are exactly one game under 500. But I just wonder whether there's any feeling among Phillies fans of this franchise still being kind of a bad franchise, like not just, you know, a bad GM or a bad manager or a bad roster or a bad season. But is there any feeling that this is just a franchise that isn't as good as other franchises? Or did the 2000s wipe that away? It's a little hard for me to opine on that because I'm I'm an optimist in basically all situations. And my earliest real memories of the Phillies are from the early 90s, the Kruk, Dalton, Dykstra era. And we sort of celebrated the really rough parts the ugly, the ugliest seasons that I remember sort of wear that as a badge of honor. And maybe some of that has to do with growing up so far from the actual Philly stadium. We Maybe we would get to one game a year by the time I was in high school, but there was always a lot of distance from sort of the Philadelphia feeling about it. And, you know, I think there's something about proximity to the city that makes it so- somehow, well, frankly, a little pleasing to kind of roll around in the in the gritty pain of of the, the badness of the franchise. But my best memories are from those the seasons after 2000. So maybe I'm just spoiled because it was so good for so much of my formative adult life. So I think there are certain certain days when that feels quite true. I think it feels more true when actually at the ballpark, certainly true every time I went to Veterans Stadium, but I think there are a lot of very young Phillies fans who would who would disagree. I have students who are mostly college freshmen and they're very optimistic. When I when I joke about the Phillies' badness, they look wounded and troubled because that's not really part of the franchise history for them. All of a sudden the Phillies front office has gone from punchline, fairly or unfairly, to at least hiring the sort of people that other front offices have been hiring for a while. Obviously, Matt Klintak, the new GM, is 35 and is well-versed in the statistical side of the game. And they've recently hired Andy Galdi from Google, who's now the director of R&D. And there's a former baseball prospectus intern, Louis Paulus, who's now a full-timer and an assistant GM who has some analytics experience with the Orioles. And how how optimistic does this make you or how reassured does this make you? Or do you kind of have the feeling that they still have a lot of catch up to play, you know, even though they have the the fancy database like every team has now with some sort of team specific name in their case, Phil, do you get the sense that, okay, we're, we're part of the modern baseball world now, or do you feel like it's going to still take years for them to catch up to the early adopters? I think there's probably a bit of catch up to do, but the fact that the front office now skews pretty young, there are a lot of 30-somethings now doing big things 
there. And I'm encouraged by that. It seems like Andy McPhail and company are much more interested in that. And so I'm hoping if there is a significant learning curve that it, the catch-up will happen quickly. I certainly think that the technology is available to make those things happen quickly in terms of easy data visualizations, uh, or at least easier than they had been in the past. I just think there are more more attractive teaching models available for that information. So even if you do have to basically sell it to people who aren't particularly interested in buying it in, in the case of, I don't know, maybe folks left over from the old tenure, I think it's probably easier to do now than it might have been a couple of years ago. So I think Matt Clintock has the energy in the right place. And again, cautiously optimistic that that's, that's going to be productive. Mm-hmm. So um, Ryan Sandberg is gone and Sandberg had to wait a long time to be a manager. He was passed over uh, in Chicago and, and then he got a fairly quick hook uh, relative to what most managers get. I mean, he came into a bad situation, managed 270 games uh, and then he was gone and uh, perhaps fittingly his Wikipedia photo uh, in his manager section is a blurry out of focus photo of his back as he walks sadly toward the dugout, which, uh, you know, as far as uh, decent metaphors <laughs> is right up there with dead hawk falling out of the sky, I would guess. Do you think he'll ever manage again? Is Was this uh, such a bad tenure that, that that's it? It's hard to imagine that a team would want to take the risk. He quite visibly upset a, a number of players that don't necessarily have a reputation for, for being easily ruffled. And the bullpen mismanagement was just achingly painful. So I can't imagine him getting a, a new managerial position anytime soon. And yet, I, I, there's probably enough evidence of that happening elsewhere that I, I guess I wouldn't be terribly surprised. I wonder whether he takes another shot at managing in the minor leagues. I don't know if that would be better or worse, but perhaps different. So I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that the Phillies won't be exercising Ryan Howard's $23 million team option for 2017. Although even that comes with a $10 million buyout, <laughs> which is pretty big. So that contract is just a painful pill to swallow right till the end. But assuming this is the last year of Ryan Howard's long tenure in Philadelphia, how will he be remembered, do you think? Or how will you remember him, say, 10 years on, 20 years on? Will you immediately conjure images of Rookie of the Year Ryan Howard and the Ryan Howard who finished in the top five in MVP voting four straight years or hit 40 or more home runs, 45 or more home runs four straight years? Or will you think about the way it ended? And it's taken quite a while to end, but the extension and the decline and sort of the disaster that everyone except Ruben Amaro seemed to see coming. What will come to the fore in your mind when you think about Howard in the future? For me, I'm really grateful that for me, it will be the, it will be the good times. The bad times are certainly etched forever there, but I got to see him hit three home runs in one afternoon and Howard's homers were there in their numbered t-shirts and Homer Simpson's masks. And that's what I will remember. And I guess I'm, I'm grateful that there is at least a platoon solution 
happening now insofar as Darren Ruff and Ryan Howard make an effective platoon. It's something. And I guess it's also easier to remember him fondly because, you know, he seems like a cheerful person, even though his struggles have been mighty and sad. There's no sense of of blame or pushing that anywhere else, which at least I appreciate, even if it, it doesn't help the team a whole lot. Right. And lastly, the Phillies have very little money committed beyond the next year or so. In 2018, they have only $2 million locked up, which is less than any other team, every other team in the majors. Even 2017, it's a a very low total. So at what point would you like to see them spend that? Or or at what point would you get impatient if they didn't spend it? Because they have so little tied up and, and a pretty big TV deal they signed recently. So at what point are you hoping that they will start splurging? I'm hoping that at least next offseason, they'll start to put some plans in place. If this season does that incremental improvement that I'm hoping that it will, because I think there's some, some holes. Obviously, I think there's going to need to be at least another good pitcher or two in there. I I wouldn't mind seeing them get somebody pretty fantastic. I really like Aaron Nola, but I don't know that he's number one franchise guy. Mm -hmm. So we'll see. I saw mentions, will the Phillies be contenders for Bryce Harper? That would be hilarious and awesome. I don't know how confident I am that that's ever going to be a scenario where the Phillies can lay out however many hundred million dollars that's going to cost. But in terms of my own priorities, I'm most interested in what's happening at the catcher's position because the Phillies seem to have a pipeline of catching possibilities and a lot of question marks as to how those are going to turn out. Alas, poor Carlos Ruiz. I think the end is here for Chooch. Cameron Rupp was just fine last season, but I'd obviously like to have something a little better than just fine for as many young pitchers as are going to need that that presence behind the plate. I don't know who the solution would be. And that's me being actually a little pessimistic, not knowing how Alfaro or or Knapp or Gabriel Lino, who's maybe a bit of a long shot, how they might turn out. But maybe in 2017 or 2018, is there a catcher available who's going to, you know, do what 2014 Russell Martin or 2015 Francisco Cervelli was capable of. I'd love to see that basically for completely selfish reasons, but I think that that could be a place where the Phillies make a move. All right. Well, you want to give us a 2016 win total to take us out? All right. It's maybe a little bit delusional, but I'm going to say Phillies get 75 wins this season. All right. That would be a a nice step forward. Yes. Okay, well, you can find Holly's writing at hollymwent.com. You can find her on Twitter at Geatland, G-E-A-T, Land. And you can find her Phillies essay in the BP Annual. Thank you, Holly. Thanks very much. All right, so after the break, you will hear Jeff talk to Megan Montemuro of the News Journal. Where is my wish coming from? Beaming me up with just one more smile. Don't know when or why. Joining us.
joining us now on the Effectively Wild 2016 Phillies preview show is Megan Montemuro, Phillies beat writer for the News Journal. Megan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So, once again, the Pocota projection system here at BP has the Phillies pegged as the worst team in baseball. They did the same last year and got it right, but is this projection fair to the 2016 team? I think it is in the sense of, you know, you, you look at the offense, you really don't have any major upgrades um and you know they definitely struggled to score runs at times last year um the one thing that you know could work in the Phillies favor is you know you have a rebuilding team in your own division with the Braves who really kind of went all in on that this past off season um so you know given how many times they're going to play each other you know that could kind of help the Phillies avoid that um I do like you know their rotation this year you know adding Jeremy Hellickson and uh bringing in Charlie Morton um, I think those are some upgrades to, to what they had last year and, and a lot of the injury problems they had in the rotation. So I think the rotation has the potential to be better, which, you know, if that's the case, you, if they stay in more games, obviously that gives them the chance, you know, later in the game. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they if they finish with the worst record again, but I definitely think they have the potential to avoid that given um, – some of the other bad teams, you know, not only in the National League, but, you know, especially the Braves in their division. The Phillies have been doing a little rebuilding of their own since last summer, and they got a lot of prospect talent in the Cole Hamels and Ken Giles trade, many of whom are close to Major League ready. How aggressive do you think the Phillies will be in giving these young players Major League opportunities in 2016? I don't think they're going to be too aggressive. Um, I, th- I think they, they really kind of want the guys you know, the, the top prospects to really kind of dominate at each level before moving them up to the majors. Um, I think you definitely would see, could see quite a few come up in September, um, kind of use the same game plan with how they uh, did with Michael Franco um, in terms of, you know, bringing him up at the end of 2014 in September, getting his feet wet a little bit, you know, he struggled. Um, and, you know, he, he started the, uh, last year in the, in the minors and then, you know, the, after he tore it up at AAA, um, you know, he really kind of thrived uh, at the big league level. So I can see them doing that, you know, with a guy like J.P. Crawford. He might be a little different story given his talent. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if he's a midsummer call-up. But, you know, you look at guys like Nick Williams, um, you know, Jake Thompson. Those could be guys that, you know, come late in the season, September, um, that they really kind of get called up in and, you know, get a chance to kind of show what they can do, um, especially if the Phillies, you know, do have the worst record in the majors. You know, it would be another opportunity for, for some of those guys um, to really kind of get their first experience and then, you know, head into next year um, with the opportunity to really win some positions. In addition to the prospects still in the system, the Phillies had plenty of young talent established themselves in 2015 as well. You already mentioned Mikhail Franco. I think Aaron Nola is no doubt viewed as a rotation anchor going forward, but does the organization feel the same way about Aaron Altair and Odubel Herrera in the outfield? Yeah, I think they're really intrigued. Um, you know, Pete McCannon really likes Odubel Herrera. He likes kind of the instincts he's shown. Um, you, you know, you look what he did defensively. You know, he was an infielder. He'd only played, you know, five games, a handful of games in winter ball um, before, you know, moving to the outfield full-time last year. And, you know, he was he held his own in center field. Um, you know, so I think they're very intrigued. It's going to be intri- interesting to see on, on the offensive end, you know, for Herrera, can he replicate, you know, the offensive success now that, you know, opposing teams and pitchers have a full year 
of a book on him, and uh, you know it'll be interesting to see if he can kind of weather some slumps. He has some difficulties uh, handling, um, you know, the struggles that he he experienced um, at times last year. And uh, but I think I I think they really like him. Altair is going to have every opportunity to. Uh, you know, win a spot in the outfield. And, you know, you look at an outfield of Altair Herrera and, you know, Peter Borges, I mean, they might not uh, produce much offense, but defensively, you know, not many balls are going to be dropping among those three. And when you have pitchers in your rotation like, you know, an Aaron Nola, you know, guys who pitch a little bit more to contact, you know, having a really good defensive outfield can go a long way and, and helping those uh, pitchers, which is, you know, Outfield defense is definitely an issue at times last year, so um, I definitely think that they, they believe you know Herrera and Altair can fit in the plan. Um, they're definitely going to have plenty of chances to prove you know that they kind of deserve to be part of this rebuilding process going forward. We'll move from the prospects and the young kids to the veterans, and you already mentioned the team has brought in Jeremy Hellickson and Charlie Morton to maybe bolster a starting rotation that, by whatever measure you want to use, last season was quite bad now are they there just to sort of stabilize things or might they look to use these pitchers as trade chips later in the season if they perform well I think it's both you know Jeremy Hellickson is a great opportunity for him to kind of reestablish himself and you know really kind of prove that you know he can get back to kind of that more elite form that um, was kind of that has been lacking at times Um, and you know Charlie Morton both of those guys are stabilizers when you have young guys like Nola and, you know, Jared uh, Eikhoff. And, you know, you, you bring in a guy like Vincent Velasquez um, from Houston in the Giles trade. So, you know, so having, having some of those veterans will take some pressure off, off those young guys um, and kind of just let them go out and pitch. And, you know, a guy like Nola doesn't have to worry about being the number one guy right now. You know, he has a chance to spend a full year in the majors and really kind of understand what that's like. Um, and then, you know, on the, on the flip side, as you mentioned, you know, Hulkson's going to be a free agent after the year. He's a Boris guy. I, I think everyone is well aware, you know, he's not going to be re-signing with the Phillies. Um, so I think, you know, the, the Phillies look at it as, hey, you know, if he goes out and dominates, you know, you, you know, we'll move you to a contender. So I think it's kind of a win-win for the Phillies. Um, it, it definitely brings some stability, which was certainly lacking last year, you know, with injuries to Aaron Horang and, you know, Chad Billingsley, you know, never didn't live up to kind of what they hoped um, he would be. So definitely, you know, the rotation has a lot more potential going into the spring than um, they did even last year. Changes on the field in 2015 and changes in the dugout as well. The Phillies changed managers in midseason last year, replacing Ryan Stanbury with Pete Mackinnon. So, as an insider, how do their two managerial styles differ, and did you notice any difference in the locker room in the second half of the season, even if the overall team performance didn't improve all that much? Yeah, I mean, they definitely have very different personalities. Um, Sandberg's definitely a much more quiet guy. Um, you know, he kind of, his expectations are pretty high from what he expects guys to act and perform. Um, and, you know, McCannon. He's definitely, you know, a player's manager. People love him in the clubhouse. He can speak Spanish, so he's able to communicate with the Latin players. He's able to joke with them. Um, he's, he, he just makes guys a lot looser. Um, the clubhouse is definitely um, more lively after he took over. 
and um, guys in general just seem to be kind of more relaxed. And um, I, I think the biggest thing was just the communication improved dramatically between manager and players once uh, McCannon took over. That, that definitely was kind of one of the criticisms of Sandberg and, uh, you know, as well as kind of some of his handling of some veterans and, and so it definitely was a completely different vibe uh, after McCannon took over. And, you know, he's definitely been looking forward to having, you know, spring training to, to implement his own stuff and really focus on certain things. There were changes in the front office as well with Matt Clentak replacing Ruben Amaro as general manager. And he's inherited an interesting young core that we've already talked about a little bit, both at the major league level and on the farm. Do you think there's a feeling in the organization that this could be a short rebuild now, given ownership's willingness to spend money and the Howard contract coming off the books at the end of the season? Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's definitely a lot of optimism, um, you know, because they really don't have any money committed, um, you know, on payroll 2017 and beyond in terms of, you know, long-term deals. Um, And, you know, they're definitely in the past haven't necessarily been afraid to make big moves or spend money, as you said. But I don't think they're all, they're not going to rush things at the same time. You know, they're not going to they're not going to sign a big name just to sign a big name. You know, this upcoming off season, if it doesn't fit in the plans, if they, you know, say, hey, you know, we're we're almost there, but you know, not quite. They're not going to make a move just to make a move. And I think that's something different with this front office. Um, while you know, obviously, you want to keep the fan base happy, uh, they also understand you know how making some missteps can really set you back in terms of a rebuild. Um, so I think between contact and McPhail, you know, they have a really good vision for this team and, you know, ownership has, you know, given their support and, of, of doing this rebuild and doing it the right way with the understanding that, Hey, if we nail this, you know, we could be successful for the next decade and we're not going to have to go through this again. So, um, you know, I, I think it'll be relatively quick, but, you know, it, obviously it's hard to tell. You, you've got to have some of these young guys pan out. And obviously, you know, part of that's going to be nailing that, you know, number one pick coming up uh, in this year's draft and really taking advantage of having that number one overall pool of money. On the number one pick uh, that, that this front office has inherited, do you have a feeling yet on what direction they might go, or is it just too early to tell at this point? I think it's too early to tell, but the sense that they've kind of given is, you know, they're going to go for the best player available whether that's, you know, a high school pitcher or a college position player, you know, they're not, they're not worried about, you know, say picking another hypothetically, you know, picking another great shortstop with the number one pick just because they have JP Crawford, you know, they, they understand that, you know, you get as many assets as you can and, you know, down the road, maybe you worry about, okay, what do we do now? We have, you know, great talent, you know, at the same position. So I, I really think they're going to go for, that's available, and I, but I wouldn't, and I wouldn't be surprised if that ends up being a pitcher. So with all these changes on the field and up and down the organization, sort of the last face of the championship Phillies teams is Ryan Howard. Now, Howard's contract is likely still an immovable object. Do you think or do you get the impression that having to sit through his rather long decline period has soured Phillies fans on him at all? Yeah, I mean, I think at this point they're kind of realistic that, you know, what he is at this point is this point in his career. Um, you know, he's still going to hit some home runs. He's going to still hit some doubles, but he's going to strike out a lot. 
It's not going to play great defense. It's kind of, I think for everyone involved, it's kind of like you're, you're, they're just playing out this last year. You know, everyone's, I think, ready to move on from the situation. And it's going to be interesting to see what his attitude is going to be like this, this year because McCannon made very clear that, you know, he's not necessarily going to get the bulk of the starts at first base if he's not producing. Uh, it already seems like it's going to be a platoon with Darren Ross um, getting the starts against left-handed pitcher, uh, starting pitchers. So, you know, that star status that, you know, Howard's had over the years is really not going to necessarily carry much weight this year. I, you know, even though they're rebuilding, McCannon's not just going to trot him out there just because he's Ryan Howard. So it's going to be interesting to see how that unfolds. Um, you know, McCannon said spring training is really where he's going to decide how to handle that. So, you know, Howard wasn't exactly thrilled, you know, in that last month and a half or so when McCannon started really implementing a platoon. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, I think that's going to be one of McCannon's biggest challenges this year. Megan, we'll let you go with this. For baseball fans that maybe don't follow the Phillies all that closely, who's a player maybe they're not as familiar with that might have a big role on the 2016 team? Well, I mean, I think uh, Franco obviously is maybe the most recognizable name. I think one player that might be interesting is um, Freddie Galvis. You know, he took over at shortstop last year for Jimmy Rollins, which obviously is not an easy thing. You know, he can make some spectacular plays defensively. Um, offensively, he you know he, he could be more consistent, but it's gonna be I think it's gonna be interesting to watch because you know you have JP Crawford coming up, um, you know at, at the very least you'd expect next year you know Crawford's their starting shortstop, so I think Galvis is interesting in terms of you know can he kind of really carve a role on this team, you know can he prove that he deserves to be in the lineup somewhere even when, when Crawford comes up, you know maybe at second base. Um, so it's going to be interesting to watch to see how he handles that, knowing uh, you know that you have one of the top prospects in baseball on the verge of being brought up. So I think he's pretty intriguing, and it'll be interesting to see how, kind of how, how he handles that and if he can build off of last year's performance. Megan Montemuro, Phillies beat writer for the News Journal, at M underscore Montemuro on Twitter. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, that is it for today. One team down, 29 to go. Thanks again to Holly and Megan for joining us. You can send us emails at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild. And you can rate and review and subscribe to the show on iTunes. As you listen to this, Sam and I are putting the finishing touches on our book. The only rule is it has to work. We're going over the page proofs, trying to track down any last typos so that when you buy it, it will be as close to perfect as possible. It's about our experience last summer running the Sonoma Stompers, an independent league team in California. You can pre-order it now at Amazon or Barnes & Noble or anywhere else books are sold. If you go to the BP homepage and click on the links to the book at Amazon or Barnes & Noble there, BP will get a few cents from the sale. Please also support our sponsor, the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. Use the coupon code BP when you subscribe to get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. We'll be back with the second episode in our team preview podcast series tomorrow on the Atlanta Braves.
season's almost here. We've officially started the previews.